0: Well, good evening to you. So glad you're here tonight. My friend is here, Sheila. She wanted me to tell you she'd say hi to her. Sheila? Yes. Oh, I haven't seen her in a long time. Thank you, Melissa. She's in Washington. Oh, she is. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, we want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad that you are on Thursday nights. We're going through the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter. And tonight, you ready for it? wait for it two chapters oh oh good i'm glad you responded that way cuz i didn't want to have to say to you oh ye of little faith i mean it might be midnight but we're going to go through two chapters tonight so no nah, it won't be that bad <clears throat> hey before we jump in though i do want to mention that a week from this sunday which is the 5th of june We're going to have our water baptism out front, 1 p.m. after second service. So uh, for those of you that wish to be water baptized, we would really encourage you to do so. You don't have to sign up, just show up. And also that Tuesday following is the 7th. And that's our prayer meeting here in the sanctuary at 7 p.m. So we'd encourage you to come join with us and mark those down on your calendars. It's always such a rich and blessed time together. So why don't we pray before we get started? If you would please join with me. Father in heaven, thank You so, so, so much. Oh Lord, we look so forward to this time that we have together on a Thursday night, where we can just come together and worship and fellowship. And now as we have our Bibles open, Lord, we're just so hungry, so thirsty for You, knowing that only You can satiate that hunger and that thirst that we have. Lord, especially those who are really struggling right now and hurting, Lord, Your Word is that soothing balm, that healing, that we need. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight will be an encouragement, our time together in Your Word, that it will be a blessing, that we'll leave here blessed and encouraged and strengthened. Lord, especially for those that are just weary and heavy laden. Lord, You said that we can come to You when we're burdened and heavy laden and that You'll give us rest for our souls, because Your yoke is easy and Your burden is light. So Lord, thank You for that. Thank You that we can come together on a night like this, in this beautiful place that You've given us to meet in and and have this time together. Lord, we're, we're looking forward to what it is that You have for us tonight. So Lord, minister to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. All right, so one of the reasons why I wanted to take these two chapters together is because starting in chapter 7 on through chapter 10, and this is important, and I'll explain why in a moment. Jeremiah is publicly prophesying at the gates entering the temple there in Jerusalem, as He declares to them the judgment coming upon them. Now, here's why that's important, because like on Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of James, verse by verse. Now, the book of James was a letter, an epistle if you prefer, that was written this that we're going to look at tonight was not written, rather it was spoken. It was spoken publicly there at the entrance to the temple. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye a massive amount of people. And if you want, I think it would be very appropriate to even picture in your mind's eye a street preacher. His name, Jeremiah. And there he is, he's he's standing on a, I'm not going to use soapbox. I don't think they had soapboxes then, a platform, some kind of a riser, whatever you want to use. Use your imagination, your God-given imagination. Reminds me of, um, this is a long time ago, I want to say it was Uh, 1997, my wife and I were in uh, England on our way to Egypt. And they have this place called Hyde's Park. And in Hyde's Park, maybe you've heard of it, it's called Speaker's Corner. And there's all of these speakers there at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. And they bring their whatever it is, and they stand on it and they just start speaking. And as you might imagine, my, my wife, well, she had to actually get me out of there, because I was looking for something to stand on, so that I could start preaching the gospel. She said, don't do that. I mean, you had, you had Muslims, of course, a lot of Muslims in, in London, in England. And you know, they're, they're just standing up there, and they're speaking. And you've got all kinds of people speaking about all kinds of things. Some of them had a large crowd, some of them not so large of a crowd. Some gathered to listen to what... (laughs) It was, it was actually um, brutal, because there was a lot of heckling going on too. And uh, I mean... You know, people heckling and questioning, especially the Christians. Of course, there were many Christians there, preaching the Gospel. And Satan's always at the ready with his people, demon-possessed people, to disrupt and disturb and distract. And so there's these mockers and scoffers, as this precious evangelist is simply wanting to preach the Gospel. I'm going into quite a description, but for good reason, because this is what Jeremiah was doing. We're going to study two chapters tonight, and don't see them as a letter written, rather see them as a declaration spoken. And that's going to change the whole complexion of what we're going to see here tonight. I'll just take it one step further, just real quick. Imagine the people that were there, again, masses of people there at the gates to the entrance to the temple. I wonder if there were those who were heckling Him. Of course there were. I wonder if there were mockers that were mocking him. Of course they were. But what did Jeremiah do? He just stayed on message. And he kept speaking this prophecy, this, let me say, unpopular prophecy. That's an understatement, as we're going to see. And he just preached the words that God put on his mouth, in his mouth to speak. And he knew it would not be received. And it wasn't. But he was faithful to speak it. And so as we go through this, imagine Jeremiah there on some raised platform, declaring this, speaking this in the hearing of the people. And as we do, you're going to see, oh my goodness, how many people walked by Jeremiah just like, come on, get out of here. What are you doing here? Give me a break, joking with their friends. Look at this guy. Listen to what he's saying. That. No way. Way. What do you mean, way? Well, this is a prophecy, and the prophetic parallels are as stunning as they are chilling, specifically concerning all the nations trembling at the wrath of God. Now, one more thing before we jump in. In going through these two chapters, it is of paramount importance that we see this through tearful eyes and not a condemning heart, which is what Jeremiah does, as we see now, verse one: Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, verse two, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. Can you just feel the intensity? of the heartbreak and the pain on the part of Jeremiah. Now, again, he's so much easier to just email this, right? No, he's speaking this. And they're hearing him say this with tears in his eyes. (laughs) In fact, you almost get the impression that he's crying so much, he's got no more tears. He's he's out of tears. The fountain has run dry. And the pain is so intense that he he just wants to somehow escape. Oh, that there was a place somewhere out in the wilderness. I don't care, just far away from here, far away from these people. It's so painful. You ever felt like that, where where you just wanted to escape? And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. Look at the imagery here. This is interesting. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil. Oh my, that reads like our news feeds, does it not? They proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone, verse 5, will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. And how about this picture? <laughs> they have taught their tongue to speak lies. Wait, what? Oh yeah, they, they've been teaching their tongue. What have they been teaching their tongue to do? Oh, they've been teaching their tongue to speak lies. And how about this one? they weary themselves to commit iniquity. Translated, in their committing iniquity, they have exhausted themselves. They have wearied themselves. They are so tired committing iniquity. Look, there's such a thing as a good tired. I mean, where, where you're just broken bread and poured out wine, and you're Bent and you're exhausted. But it's a good exhausted. This is not a good exhausted. They, they've exhausted themselves. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Man, that's tenacious. That's, ten- that's deliberate. At the end of the day, they are so exhausted, so tired. Why are you so tired? I'm so tired and weary from committing iniquity. Your dwelling place, verse 6, is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know Me, says the Lord. Again, notice this is deliberate. This is decisive. This is not unwittingly. Through deceit they refuse. This is a refusal. They refuse to know Me because they're deceived. That's the reason. And what an apt description, again, of our day. Would you agree? Which is why, sadly, this world is ripe for judgment. Therefore, verse 7 Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will refine them and try them, for how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out, it speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Verse 10, this is Jeremiah again, and this is why it's so important to understand that he's not writing this, he's speaking this. Listen to what he says. I will take up a weeping and wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation, because they are burned up, so that no one can pass through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the birds of the heavens and the beasts have fled. They're gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah desolate, without an inhabitant. Uh, Let's give me a, a moment here, we'll, I need to spend just a couple moments on this. First of all, do you realize everything we just read in these two verses, we take for granted every single day? the birds, the sound of the birds. Not the minor birds. I'm talking about... The <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you know how I feel about minor birds. I'm pretty sure they're not going to be in heaven. They're so obnoxious and irritating. But how about the uh, the doves, the cooing of the doves? The, the, the mountains, they're burned up. The beautiful, the, the Ko'olau mountain range, as lush and green as it is, as majestic as it is, we take it for granted all the time. When we first moved here, some uh, going on almost 20 years ago now, it's hard to believe when I moved my Kailua girl back to Kailua. And uh, I remember a conversation we were having in the car as we were coming through the tunnel. And I mean, just that breathtaking view, as you come out, the bright teal color of the ocean. And you're coming out and you you see those mountains. And I mean, it's just breathtaking. And I remember this conversation I had with my wife. I said, honey, I never want to not appreciate this. I hope I never take the beauty of these islands, of this island, of this scene for granted. In the morning, the windows are open, you're having coffee, you're having your devotions, and you hear the cooing of the doves, until the minor birds come in. <laughs> That's the last time I'm going to mention. Although, there's another problem now. Have you noticed there's more feral chickens lately? Is it just me? What, what in the world anyway it just mars the beauty you know of you don't hear all you anyway that's, mm. but you know i i, I thought to myself and i said to my wife i said i never want to take this for granted it's so soothing and calming and peaceful and beautiful and wonderful and and then sure enough one day i just didn't hear them anymore. Oh, they were still there. I just didn't hear them anymore. And then how many times did I drive through the tunnel, and not notice the beauty of the ocean before me and the mountains beside me? I did the very thing that I had taken for granted. You have to understand that Jeremiah has been given a prophetic glimpse into the future of what's going to happen. And he's prophesying it, and he's proclaiming it. And what he's saying publicly, vocally, verbally to them is that he weeps and wails, because you see all of this, it's going to be burned up. You know, you hear those sounds, they're gone. The birds, they're gone. It's going to become a heap of ruins. Now, again, this is, and you'll forgive me for repeating this, and I'll try not to repeat it again, but I just want to make sure you fully understand this. At the time Jeremiah is speaking this, things are happening, man. I mean, the temple is standing room only. I mean, things are going and growing and glowing. And you've got this doom and gloom preacher over here. It doesn't match up. There seems to be quite a disparity between your message and the reality of what's happening. Look at this temple. Look at these people. Look at the prosperity. You're saying, <laughs> what in the what You're saying it's going to become desolate, without an inhabitant, laid bare, burned up, emptied out. Come on. Okay, I feel better now. Verse 12. Does that make sense? I mean, it would be like in the midst of, I mean, tremendous prosperity, you've got somebody saying, uh, here's what's coming. It would be so hard to wrap your mind around that. It's not to excuse it, but rather to explain it, I suppose you could say. Verse 12 has three questions. The first. Who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why, third question, does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through? Answer, verse 13. And the Lord said, Because. They have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. But they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals, which, this is interesting, their fathers taught them. Ooh. That's how they learned about it therefore, verse 15, Thus says the LORD of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them this people with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. We saw that again prior. This is the second time it's repeated. Verse 16, I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. Thus says the LORD of hosts, Verse 17, Consider and call for the mourning women, that they may come, and send for the skillful wailing women, that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may run with tears, and our eyelids gush with water.' This is a reference to, actually we see it in the New Testament, to professional mourners. Did you know that they would actually pay people to come and mourn? (laughs) Man, you can't pay me enough. I'm I'm just, I, I don't want to apply for that position particularly but they would actually pay them to come and mourn and draw attention to this time of mourning. And that's what this is a reference to. You're not mourning, you're celebrating. You're not considering your partying. This is why whenever I do a memorial service, I always, my go-to is Ecclesiastes, particularly chapter 7. I mean, Solomon writes, I mean, at first read, it's quite morbid, if you misunderstand it. But he basically says this, it's better to go to a memorial service than it is to go to a wedding. And here's why. Because when you go to a memorial service, you're more introspective, and you're more apt to consider the temporal nature of your life in this world. And you're faced with what everyone is faced with, the reality of death, and the reality of eternity. And you'll take it to heart. You, you go to a wedding, that's the last thing on your mind. In fact, you'll probably get kicked out of that wedding if you start talking like this at a wedding. <laughs> We're not a, at a memorial service. What are you talking about? And that's what he's saying here. And that's what God has him proclaim here. Verse 19, for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion how we are plundered. We are greatly ashamed, because we have forsaken the land, because we have been cast out of our dwellings. Yet hear the word of the LORD, verse 20, O women, and let your ear receive the word of His mouth. Teach your daughters wailing, and everyone her neighbor a lamentation. For death has come through our windows, has entered our palaces to kill off the children, no longer to be outside, and the young men no longer on the streets. Speak, thus says the LORD, Even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse on the open field, like cuttings after the harvester, and no one shall gather them. This carries with it the idea of bundling up the harvest to be gathered and taken in. And the bodies, how graphic is this? The carcasses of men are going to be like that, except nobody is going to gather them. I'm sorry, one last time. But could you imagine, you're there, Jeremiah is proclaiming this, this temple message. And and you're just there at the temple, like you're always at the temple. And you're there with your family, and you're going to swing by this one, you know, uh, food truck and buy a shawarma. And you're, you're hearing Jeremiah say this, kind of ruins your appetite a little bit, doesn't it? Verse 23, Thus says the LORD, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Let not the mighty man glory in his might, Nor let the rich man glory in His riches. Stop right there, verse 23, before we go to verse 24. The implication is, the wise men were glorying in their wisdom, and the mighty men were glorying in their might, and the rich men were glorying in their riches. That's what they were doing. They were boasting in, proud of, and glorying in everything but the one who should receive all the glory. Verse 24, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising, look at this list, loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. You're glorying in all of this. No, no, Uh, glory in this instead. Glory in Me, because no flesh is going to glory in My presence. Oh, you're rich, are you? You're glorying in that. Oh, you're wise, are you? You're glorying in that. Oh, you're mighty and strong. I mean, You're glorying in that? No. Here's what you glory in, that you understand and know Me, that I am the Lord. Um, Loving kindness. When was the last time you glorified God for how loving He is, and how kind He is, because He is? Doesn't it seem kind of out of place? Okay, loving kind's judgment. Well, where's the love? Oh, no, that is loving. And here's how I get there God's going to judge because God is a God of love. God is a just God, because if He were not a loving God, He would not be a just God. Because how unjust would that be, were He not to mete out just judgment and righteousness in the earth. You know, there's a scene in the book of Revelation that is recorded. It's really quite astonishing, actually. There's this, I'll call it, heavenly gasp. Who is worthy to open up the scroll? Who who is worthy to settle this and right this wrong? Jesus is worthy. And oh, the relief worthy is the Lamb. Oh, the wrath of the Lamb. How's that for a paradox? When was the last time you saw a lamb that was wrathful? A lion, maybe. But a lamb? The wrath of the lamb. Well, where's the love? No, that is love, because He loves me. And He's going to have the final word. He's going to have the final word. And He's going to judge. And it's a just judgment. Praise you, Lord. Worthy are you, Lord. That is loving. That is kind, because you're settling it, because you're worthy to do it. Because worthy is the lamb that was slain for it. It is a just judgment and it is righteousness. And for in these, says the Lord, I delight. Now, don't get the impression that the Lord takes delight in judging the unrighteous. In fact, we know the opposite is true. He takes no delight in meeting out judgment. But what He delights in is our glorying in Him, because He is just, because He is loving, because He is kind, because He is righteous. Behold, verse 25, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised, Because see, the Jews were like, hey, we're God's people. Oh yeah, them, yeah, we we get that, but not us. Come on. Did you see the temple? Did you see how many people are packed in? Did you see the prosperity? Ah, we're God's people. No, 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 wait. The circumcised with the uncircumcised. Verse 26, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners, who dwell in the wilderness. By the way, Egypt, Edom, Ammon, Moab, this would be considered modern day Jordan. And you've got Egypt on one side and Jordan on the other, and then Israel right in the middle. Isn't that interesting? And not just the neighboring nations, but all these nations are uncircumcised. And all the house of Israel, are uncircumcised in the heart. In other words, outwardly, yeah, you might be God's circumcised people, if you will. But inwardly, you're no different than them. And as such, you will be judged like them. Chapter 10, how you doing? Doing okay? We're doing pretty good. Yeah, don't look at your watches. Not yet. Verse 1, Hear the word which the LORD speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the LORD, Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. You know what he's referring to here? And again, he's publicly proclaiming this. And they would have known exactly what he was referring to, astrology. Oh, this is what the Babylonians did. And it seems, according to these first two verses, that the house of Israel was learning their ways, the signs of the zodiac. By the way, it is a satanic corruption. Now, verse 3, we're going to get down and dirty. You're going to have to bear with me. For the customs of the peoples are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas. What? They fasten it with nails and hammers, so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. By the way, you know you got a problem when you got to carry your God instead of your God carrying you. Now, we're going to come back to that. That's going to be germane to our understanding of what this is about because this is the passage of Scripture, by the way that those who say Christians should never have a Christmas tree, because of what Jeremiah 10 says. This is a pagan custom. They would take, and they would go out, and they would cut down their own Christmas tree in that Christmas tree farm. And they would take it home, and they would put it in the Christmas tree stand, and they would decorate it and put silver and gold on it and worship it. Hang on, just wait before you. I'm so glad we're in Jeremiah 10 in May and not December. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's just get this dealt with, so we can move on. So does this mean that we should never have a Christmas tree? No. Well, wait a minute. I mean, that's kind of describing the Christmas tree. I know. But do you worship your Christmas tree? Now, that's a different story. If you're worshiping your Christmas tree, we need to talk about that. That's different. That's not what we're talking about here. They were doing it to their pagan gods, and they were worshiping these trees as gods, and the worship surrounding the tree. I'm not going to get into it. Very um, just awful, I guess, for lack of a better word. So. Why is it okay for a Christian to have a Christmas tree? I'll tell you why. Because, in fact, I like how one commentator stated it, there are actually more comparisons to the Christmas tree being more acceptable for a Christian than there are comparisons out of this passage, in particular, for the Christmas tree not being appropriate for Christians to have. So, In our home, we have a Christmas tree. Don't email me. The tree is the cross. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. My Jesus hung on a tree for me, paid for my sins. The lights we put on the tree, a symbol of Jesus, who's the light of the world. How about the gifts under the tree? Ah, that's the best part, of course, especially when you're a kid, right? The gift of eternal life, that was purchased by Jesus on that tree for me. He paid for that gift on that tree for me. So there, Merry Christmas. I'm not trying to be mean. I remember one Christmas sermon one year. This is a while ago now. And I think I titled it, You Can't Have Our Christmas Just Yet. After the rapture, you can do whatever you want with it, but not yet. (laughs) You can't have our Christmas yet. You also can't take our Resurrection Sunday celebration either. You can do whatever you want after we're gone, but not yet. Okay, are we good? We're good. Merry Christmas. All right. Verse 6, Inasmuch as there is none like You, O Lord, You are great, and Your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. I love this. I love this. I love this. Who is like unto you, O Lord? Who is like unto you? There is none like you. And again, Jeremiah is proclaiming this. I love it when God boasts on Himself. He can do that, you know, because who is like unto Him? But they, verse 8, are altogether dull hearted and foolish. Now, dull hearted, we're going to see it again here in a moment, and I'll expound maybe a little bit more on it. but. It's not a phrase we really use much in our day, but it it has this idea of just a heart that is hardened and dullened and uninterested. And here we're told foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver, verse 9, is beaten into plates. It is brought from tarshish and gold from Uphaz. The work of the craftsman and the hands of the metalsmith, blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. By the way, we're still on the Christmas tree, so you know. I mean, they're adorning this and and they're uh, putting all of this skill into this. And this is not cheap, by the way, blue and purple. I mean, that. wow, they're really into this thing. Yes, they are. But, verse 10, you know, when you read a but like this in verse 10, you know that everything heretofore, <laughs> um, God is going to say something about it now. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And here it is, at His wrath the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. I want to highlight and emphasize this, for this reason. It's this verse that should give every one of us pause concerning the coming wrath of God upon all the nations on earth. I know I say it probably seemingly every week, but the prophetic parallels with Jeremiah's day and our day as are as stunning as they are chilling. Here you've got the Jeremiah's of our day proclaiming this. This is what's coming. God's judgment is coming on all of the nations of the earth in the seven year tribulation. It is coming. You can be assured of it. And no one's listening. Not much has changed, has it? They just walk on by, jeering, mocking, ridiculing, laughing. But here's the thing, it's going to happen. I wonder, I was thinking about this today, as I was preparing for the teaching tonight. I wonder if when they were carried away, those who survived, by the way, because many were killed, when the Babylonians would come and invade Judah and carry away the Jews to Babylon, exactly as the prophet Jeremiah declared. I wonder if, as they were being carried away by the Babylonians, they remembered, wait a minute. You remember that guy that day? And we laughed at him. And he said, this is what was going to happen. It happened. You know, now I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 11, Thus you shall say to them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. (laughs) He has made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at His discretion, emphasis mine on him, his, he. Oh, throughout the Old Testament, replete throughout the Old Testament to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, who delivered you out of Egypt. The emphasis is on I. That's not your God they didn't create the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. I did that. I am the Lord your God. These are not gods. And here it is again, verse 13, when He utters His voice. Did I miss a verse? I did. Did I? No, I didn't. Why are you falsely accusing me of missing a verse? I didn't. (laughs) Verse 13, (laughs) when he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. I like that imagery. And verse 14, everyone is dull hearted. Without knowledge, every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his moulded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them.' Wait, uh, that, that God you worship, it can't talk. Did you, did you realize that, right? That, that, that God that you fashioned, that image that you made, that you bowed down and worship, you know that it, it is not God, right? You know that? And there it is again, doing in the tender commandments, as one affectionately referred to them. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not make for yourself any graven images. Why are those tender commandments? Because they're from a tender, loving Heavenly Father that says, you can make those images, but they're not going to be there for you. I will. Don't bow down and worship them, because they're not gods. I am God. Don't have other gods before me. I am God. Don't make for yourself a God, because that God cannot do anything for you. They are futile, verse 15, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment they shall perish. The portion of Jacob, verse 16, is not like them, for he is the maker of all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Gather up your wares from the land, O inhabitant of the fortress. For thus says the LORD, Behold, I will throw out at this time the inhabitants of the land, and will distress them, that they may find it so.' Now here's Jeremiah, again publicly professing and speaking this, Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is severe. But I say, truly, this is an infirmity, and I must bear it.' Oh, would to God (laughs) that we, like Jeremiah, would say, this is an infirmity, I must bear it. Would to God that we, like Job, would say, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Would to God that we, like Esther, would say, if I perish, I perish. My tent, verse 20, is blundered, and all my cords are broken. My children have gone from me, and they are no more. There is no one to pitch my tent anymore or set up my curtains. And then verse 21, and you're going to have to bear with me on this one. For the shepherds have become dull-hearted, and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Again, just bear with me, because this is talking about the pastors, the shepherds, the leaders, the teachers. The overseers of the flock of God. They too had become dull hearted, hard hearted, and, and were even kind of given a, a glimpse as to why they had become so. They stopped seeking the Lord. Their prayer life became non-existent. And they had become, become, they weren't always that way dull-hearted. And these are the shepherds. Not only will God not bless and prosper them, He can't. He wants to, but He can't. And how about their flocks? What about them? They're not being fed. They're being scattered. If you only knew, if you had any idea of how many people will email us or make comments or post comments that read almost verbatim, like verse 21, I can't go to this church anymore. The pastor's not preaching. Forget Bible prophecy. The pastor's not preaching the Word. He gets up there and dull. How many times can you have the word dull used in the same sentence as sermon? (laughs) That was really dull. That's because the shepherd is dull hearted. And what happens to the flock? Well, they scatter, because there's no shepherds. Well, this is heartbreaking. (laughs) And I have to confess that this is one of the most heartbreaking things that I deal with as a pastor. I mean, I want to be found faithful. I want the Lord to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. Because I'm going to have to give an account as a shepherd, as a pastor, as an overseer of this, the flock of God. And here's the consolation for me, for all of those that are scattered, Jesus is the Good Shepherd. These are dull hearted shepherds. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And Jesus loves His flock so much. And He'll see to it, despite these dull hearted shepherds, that His flock is fed and tended to. I think of Peter, just real quick. I think it's apropos to bring the dialogue that Jesus had with Peter, when He restored him. Peter, do you love Me? Three times He asks. And Peter, the third time, weeps. And Jesus says, if you love Me, feed My sheep. Well, I love the Lord. so much. And I know that when I stand behind this pulpit, as is my privilege to every week, and teach the Word and feed the flock, that the Lord is pleased and blessed, because I love the Lord. And I love you too, by the way. I kind of like you too, actually. So, (laughs) verse 22, Behold, the noise of the report has come, and a great commotion out of the north country, again speaking of Babylon, to make the cities of Judah desolate, a den of jackals. Oh Lord, Verse 23, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Boy, you can say that again. <laughs> it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Left to himself, left to his own way. Verse twenty four. Oh Lord, correct me. Ooh, dangerous prayer, by the way. Correct me. You ever ask the Lord to do that? Chastise me, discipline me, correct me. Oh, He will. But with justice, not in your anger. Oh, that's a. Whole nother sermon unto itself. Not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. And God could effortlessly crush us, but he won't. Pour out your fury on the Gentiles. <laughs> I like that. That's a uh, a sanctified um, satisfaction. Don't pour it out on Me. Pour it out on them. Not Me. No, those, the Gentiles, who do not know You, and on the families who do not call on Your name. And here's why. For they have eaten up Jacob, devoured him, and consumed him, and made his dwelling place desolate.' Okay, what is this saying here at the end of the chapter? Well, it's Jeremiah, in effect, praying, even pleading with the Lord to be merciful. Yes, God, I I know You're just in Your judgment, and rightfully so. But the prophecy you just gave me to proclaim and prophesy is so bad, and they are going to, I mean, go way beyond, as they devour and consume and make desolate Judah. Don't let them get away with that. Yes, You're using them as the instrument in Your hand of judgment. I get that. But God, you know what they're going to do, right? (laughs) They're going to pile on and go beyond, and take great delight in what You've allowed them to do. And yes, You've allowed them to do it. I mean, in your justice, because you are a just God, be merciful. Just be merciful to us. Yes, we deserve this. We brought this on ourselves. I realize that. But they are going to take great delight in devouring us. Be merciful to us, Lord, please. Be merciful to us. And that's how he ends his uh, message. And that's how we're going to end the Bible study tonight, too. Can you imagine now all those people there at the gate? Are you done? Man, that was, that was awful. That was awful. It was a horrible sermon, and message, and prophets. I'm so glad it's over. It's kind of like, (laughs) you know what really blessed me about your preaching? Was when it ended. Yeah, I was so blessed when it ended. Why don't you stand and late too? Why don't you come on up, and we'll bless you by ending this. But, Father in heaven, thank You for humor. It's The levity is needed, because whew, this is tough stuff. And Lord, You are merciful. And we do, like Jeremiah, we do plead with You to be merciful. Lord, we know what's coming, and it is coming. And it's really in all likelihood, based on what we know in Your Word and see in the world, we know it's coming sooner than we might even realize. Or this is very serious. So please be merciful, Lord, in Your just judgment. Please be merciful. Be merciful to us who do know You, who have called upon Your name, those of us who are saved. Yes, we might taste from this cup before that trumpet sounds. But Lord, You're so faithful, and You'll get us through, You'll carry us through, and get us through whatever it is that we're going to go through, as bad as it gets prior to the rapture, Lord. But we do know it's coming. And thank You that we're saved. In Jesus' name, Amen.